Welcome back to Canna Week, brought to you by New Frontier Data, where we deliver the week's top headlines in cannabis and hear experts weigh in on the impacts these stories are having on the industry. I'm your host, Heather Wickline. Before we get started, if you are loving this podcast, please be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review and share this episode. It helps us move up. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the importance of ESG in the cannabis industry. And our first guest we are thrilled to have on here. He has over 35 years of executive level experience in a range of companies within the for-profit and nonprofit sector. He is the co-founder and chief growth officer of Regenibus. Please welcome Jeff Trotter. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Great to be here. And thanks for the invitation. Of course. And as always, I'm pleased to welcome back our in-house expert. He is the Chief Knowledge Officer at New Frontier Data, Mr. John Kagia. Delighted to be back, Heather. Thank you for having me. So, John, I have to say, you are the first Chief Knowledge Officer I have ever met. But it turns out Mr. Trotter held the same title back in 2001. <laughs> so, Jeff, did you know any other people with that title, or was this made specifically for you? I did not, and it was kind of made specifically at that time. Uh, I was with Ernst & Young, one of the big four advisory firms, and uh, when I joined them uh, in the UK, I was their director of knowledge, and there was no end of of uh, people, my friends, etc., pointing finger. Oh, director of knowledge! Wow, wow, wow! Uh, <laughs> and then when I moved to Hong Kong uh, to take up the role there. Um, they needed to sort of elevate the role. Uh, the director wasn't sufficient, so they they decided to call me chief knowledge officer. And up and I mean, I very rarely would meet a chief knowledge officer anywhere over the last 21, 22 years. And then New Frontier Data, John Kagia, chief knowledge officer. Ah, wow, <laughs> there you go. So yeah, uh, it, it's but still I get no end of um, Mickey taking for want of a term when people say oh, but you know prior to uh, that role at EY, I was. Uh, general manager at Guinness World Records for a period of time, which is the ultimate body of knowledge. And um, so I'd always been in the knowledge game, I guess, before I um, before I even got anywhere close to joining Ernst & Young. Well, what a treat. I get two chief knowledge officers <laughs> on the same podcast. Former. No <laughs> well, getting back to you. Um, chief you knowledge know... officer, always a chief knowledge officer. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well done. Well played. Um, well, so Jeff, you've had this amazing career. Uh, it looks like you started Regenibus in February of 2020. What made you get into the cannabis space? Uh, uh, Patrick McCartan. It's his fault entirely. <laughs> uh, the other co-founder of Regenibus. Patrick and I had known each other a good period of time prior to the genesis of Regenibus. There's a mouthful. Um, and uh, we were working together at a group called Sustainable Brands really cool organization also based out of San Francisco that as its name might suggest was working with some of the largest branded corporations in the world and helping them with their sustainability objectives and their narrative. Uh, oftentimes Patrick and I were calling them out on their, their bullshit more than anything else. Um, mm -hmm. But it's great to see that, that that's all, you know, um, moved forward at pace and that, that's great. But uh, he and I stepped away from the, the organization around about the same time. He went on a round the world trip, literally, metaphorically speaking, um, and immersed himself in the world of cannabis. He has known some folks in the industry for a good period of time, you know, fellas, uh, you know, in different parts of the world and folks, he's, he's now got a, a pretty, I mean, his Rolodex, there's a term we don't hear that often, 
but uh, his, his his contacts are, are all around the world and and with deep industry experience in the cannabis space and he and i would meet once a month in san francisco have a lunch it's kind of like two men and a baby because at the time his his little one lennox was was very young so one of us was using our foot to sort of rock the little baby chair as we're trying to have this conversation in the middle of, of a restaurant and we were always thinking what, what what are you up to what are you doing what should we do and i had thrown myself back into a whole body of work at the united nations with different agencies as a consultant looking at things like human trafficking modern slavery clearly looking to eradicate uh, and then looking at human rights issues and so on and and then you know around about 2015 2016 we had the the, the birth of the now known as the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. I was very interested in that collective, you know, um, system thinking approach to sustainable development. So as, as he and I were sitting there having our, in my case, cassoulet in this wonderful French restaurant, I, you know, it just came to us that actually we needed to create something that would bring this notion of sustainability, but even prior to that, this notion of environmental social governance into the cannabis industry. And we figured that if we could create a platform, a sort of a community, if you like, but a platform approach, um, then that's what we would do. So ultimately that led to the creation of Regenibus. Uh, about a week later, COVID hit. Um, so our plans went somewhat awry. We learned to be very agile. Uh, and we ended up with the iteration that we have now, which is a business that is a for-profit, we convene, we advise, and we invest. Uh, and the convening side, we'll talk about later. The advisory side uh, is very much focused around environmental social governance, and we'll speak a little bit more about that later. And then the investment side uh, is a separate legal entity, but part of the same group called Regenibus Ventures. Uh, where we are in the process now of raising capital for our first fund. There'll be a series of funds, but we're an ESG-led, somewhat ESG-screened play. We like to call ourselves, although we're private equity, a, a venture multi-capital firm um, rather than just venture capital. And the, the difference there is that we will be putting different uh, forms of capital into the companies that we invest in, not just economic capital, but intellectual capital, social capital, et cetera. And, and also seeking a multi-capital return from those investments, um, fully believing that one day all venture capitalists will be venture multi-capitalists. Um, and it's a term that uh, didn't exist until I made it up and then I hashtagged it. Um, but I do feel that that's, that's the way the world needs to go on the finance front. Anyway, more of that later. So convening. Well, hashtag Chief Knowledge Officer, you created a new term. <laughs> Yeah, social billionaire. That was another one yeah. I created more than that. Well, that's some nonsense. <laughs> well, so just speaking on ESG, this is you know something that's a, a pretty hot topic. We hear it thrown around a lot. What it, what exactly does that entail? Because I feel like some people don't necessarily know exactly what that means. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think part of the challenge that we have is that it, it really does mean different things to different people, yet and different audiences, and it can be used by different audiences, but ultimately the E, S, and the G always stands for the same thing, environmental, social, and governance. And from a corporate perspective, companies are, there's no mandate, but it's becoming almost a sort of a market demand that attention is, play, is, is placed on 
how an organization is managing those external environmental social governance factors into the business and therefore gives a clear indication that they're mitigating risk in their business, whether it's strategic, financial, operational risk. Uh, and so that's what ESG does. There's a, there's a group of, of impact areas, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, could be diversity, equity, and inclusion, could be board composition uh, in a business. Uh, if we look at a, a, one of the frameworks coming out of SASB, the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, they have almost 30 impact areas across E, S, and G. And so a company is, is increasingly, or companies are increasingly looking at how are they um, managing these issues that are material to their business. And that's the key term, material to their business. And therefore, what from an, a corporate perspective, the, the closer you are to understanding the external impacts to your business, the better you, the chance you have of understanding what, what impacts your products and services can, can have externally once you've managed all of those things. Now, that's from a corporate perspective. From an investor perspective, many investors are looking at utilizing ESG to see what kind of companies are out there and paying attention to this and therefore the ones that fundamentally they think might be a safer bet from an investment perspective. But increasingly there are regulatory bodies like the SEC in the United States and, and others around the world that are beginning to pay even more attention to this from both an investor perspective as well as from a corporate perspective. And the SEC here in the United States just recently making announcements and pronouncements that, that will say that these are the, the uh, at some point, probably in the 10K filings around about 2023, 24, that any publicly listed company would have to disclose their ESG position. And so this is becoming an increasing, um, as I say, market demand. It's not mandated. Some mm. aspects may well become mandated. And, you know, just on that, sometimes we hear folks, well, why should we do this? It's not mandated. And our response generally is, for the same reason you probably publish your quarterly results, it's not mandated, but watch what happens if you didn't do it. Right. Yeah, it's a market demand and that's, that's it's an increasing market demand. So that's kind of ESG and for, for different people, it means different things. For some, it means sustainability. And for, for us at Regenibus, it doesn't. They're linked, but they're not the same. And, and ESG, you know, sometimes people think, oh, that's corporate social responsibility. It's a piece of it. It's mm -hmm. not it, so to speak. Yep, CSR is another big one. I think that confuses some people as well. Yeah, yeah, alphabet soup. <laughs> exactly. Well, so you have recently had an event, and John, I know your team um, had worked with Regenibus to put out an ESG and cannabis um, report around that time. Can you walk us through anything, any some of the findings that you were key, some key takeaways that you um, had from that report? Sure, and and you know this is this is such an exciting moment for this topic in cannabis for several reasons. One, you know, as we think about ESG um, in the global context, cannabis is in a really unique position because the industry has the opportunity to integrate these issues at the birth of the global cannabis economy. 
Um, for a lot of uh, other sectors of the economy, there's a lot of thought and effort that has to go into trying to retrofit business, trying to retrofit business practices uh, uh, as they think about how to how to consider these uh, broad and really complex issues for their businesses. But for the cannabis industry, for even for the amount of momentum that currently is in the space, um, we barely scratched the tip of the iceberg of what this industry is ultimately going to be. And so there's a really, um, it's a really timely moment to be having this conversation and planting the seed for ESG and cannabis, um, because the the structures and the practices established now uh, are going to reverberate for for decades as this industry matures. So several things. Um, as just said, there's, there's a lot of different components that fall under the ES and G. Um, but I think there's a few that stand out uh, as both unique opportunities and potential challenges um, for, for cannabis. On the environmental side, uh, just looking at the US in particular, as we think about climate change and climate science, um, you know, the, the effects of global warming are currently affecting the states which are the country's largest cannabis producers. And so thinking more effectively and strategically about how to um, manage resource use, how to build hyper-efficient operations, isn't just good for the planet. Um, it really does come down to uh, uh, having material implications for one's performance in this market, um, serving as a basis for comp competitive differentiation. Um, lowering operational costs, and and uh, indeed, you know, as Jeff said, it's a market. Uh, these issues are market driven, so attracting consumers who who uh, increasingly are are uh, conscious of these issues. Um, if you're operating in the in the Pacific states, Oregon, Washington, California, right now, but Nevada and, and Colorado as well, if you're not thinking about the implications of forest fires, of uh, droughts um, on your business. Um, uh, then, then you know you're going to be in for a very, very challenging uh, few years ahead. Because um, a recent interesting report about how drastically low the Colorado River has fallen. Um, if you're not think, trying to figure out how to reduce your water use, increase your water use efficiency, um, issues like that have major implications for uh, not only your operations uh, but your ability to, to compete effectively. On the other side of the spectrum, you know, we think about issues like uh, uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And again, this is another issue where cannabis uh, is uniquely positioned to um, consider and address the implications of, of uh, ESG in its unique context. And we think about prohibition, for example, and the inequitable enforcement of, uh, of cannabis prohibition again, in the United States, but this is a global phenomenon. We just have better data in the US than we do from other markets, where um, in the US, you're four times more likely to be arrested for cannabis if you're black than if you're white, even though both groups consume at similar levels. Uh, when you drill down to the county level, there's some counties where you're 60 or 70 times more likely to be arrested if you're black than if you're white. Huge inequity in, in the way prohibition has been enforced. But then on the flip side of that, as the industry has transitioned from illicit to uh, legal and regulated, it is these people who have, um, who understand the space, but who have criminal records for nonviolent cannabis offenses that are being blocked out of, of uh, participating in this industry. So they've lost on the inequitable prohibition side and have lost on the ability to become uh, players in this market. Part of the opportunity that DEI plays in, in uh, the cannabis context is not just because it is quote unquote, the good thing to do. Um, there's been tons of data that's been done 
over the past several decades around the role that diversity plays in improving organizational performance. And so there's a huge role that, that um, uh, the cannabis industry can, can play, both in remediating the outcomes of uh, inequitable cannabis prohibition, as well as in um, improving organizational outcomes, operational outcomes, by bringing in diverse streams, kind of acting, pro working proactively uh, to, to recruit um, uh, partners and, and employees who have been impacted by, uh, by the inequitable enforcement of, of campus prohibition, uh, because not only does that improve the organizational outcomes, as a great body of um, business research has shown, but it also does uh, serve the industry's um, broader objective of trying to undo um, the, the great deal of damage that has been done uh, by, by uh, campus prohibition. And then there's, you know, as we think about cannabis specifically within the context of the UN 17 Sustainable Development Goals, uh, you know, as we were working with this project with Jeff and, and his team, it was really striking how many different of these, um, of the 17 SDGs, cannabis has the opportunity to implicate. So ending global hunger, you know, think how does that, how does cannabis have a role to play there? But if you think about hemp seed and the fact that hemp seed is a superfood and the, and the fact that it, you know, it grows quickly in highly dense areas, can, um, it, it's, uh, can be very drought resistant, grow in areas where a lot of other uh, crops uh, might be challenged. Um, you know, as we think about the entirety of the cannabis plant, um, the role that it can play in, in uh, improving nutritional outcomes, cleaning the environment, through cannabis as a the cannabis plant as a bioremediator, um, the, the the breadth of ways in which uh, uh, cannabis as a uh, uh, when used holistically um, uh, aligns with the uh, U.S. and SDGs, um, I think is is a uniquely exciting opportunity for a nascent industry, um, and we hope that through the work that we've been doing with Regenibus and and through supporting the work that Regenibus is doing, um, that this will begin a stimulate a global conversation around the role that that. Uh, cannabis can play in, uh, in helping um, support this, this very uh, ambitious set of uh, uh, goals. Um, it is not a panacea, it's not going to be a silver bullet, uh, but we see myriad opportunities for cannabis to play a profound role in, in improving um, environmental, social, and governance outcomes uh, for the planet. Amazing. Mm. Now, Jeff, getting back to your event, um, how did you think it got went? What what was like the what was like your kind of how did you walk away from that event? So was was that the first big event you've had, right? Uh, yeah, uh, we had a virtual event last year, um, yeah, and we had uh, looked to host this event from October. We tried October, we December, February, and finally May fifth. Uh, we had to move those dates because of COVID. Uh, the UN was not open. And others were saying, well, why don't you just host the event somewhere else? And, and the, the intent from our perspective was to really cajole the UN into recognizing that there is this significant opportunity that the plant is providing around the sustainable development goals that John has just very eloquently uh, you know, outlined. And, and from our perspective, it, it, it is fundamental to the work that we do. The Sustainable Development Goals form our North Star, if you like, under the work that we do on advisory, convening, and, and in investing. And so when we approach the UN, you know, understand also that you know, cannabis is not legal in most countries around the world. So from our perspective, 
you know, looking at the fact that it, it, that cannabis is only legal in two countries meant that we had to work the corridors of UN quite a bit in terms of, you know, having, there was a bit of education as well, you know, the, in, in the medical cannabis world, you know, the Convention on Narcotics and Drugs in December 2020 uh, only decided narrowly on a 27 to 25 vote with one abstention that they would deschedule cannabis and therefore open the door to medical cannabis research. And so many countries have begun to go down that particular path. Canada and Uruguay were the first two countries to fully legalize. We're still waiting for others. Germany will follow pretty soon. We anticipate that later this year or very early next year. US continues to debate. That's another story. But from our perspective, when we convened at the UN, and as I pointed out, I think during one of the sessions, ultimately this wasn't really about cannabis. It's not about recreational cannabis nor is it about medical cannabis, nor is it about industrial cannabis. It's the collective, it's the opportunity that at this moment in time, that if we just free ourselves from this prohibitionist thinking that we've had for way too long, if we just look at from a research perspective, whether it's socioeconomic research, whether it's medical research, no matter what it is, you will see that there is a unique opportunity and there's a groundswell of opinion in citizens in different countries around the world that we move forward <clears throat> and we look to do something differently. And so from our perspective to reference it back to the sustainable development goals really helped, we think, the UN see the potential and therefore to understand more the opportunity of, around conversations that would lead to solutions. And that's what we've, we've really looked to engender. And I think we've achieved that, uh, you know, the response frankly, is better than we could have even written if we had gone 10 times over what we thought we might have heard. It was really, it's just remarkable. Um, people are still referencing the event, um, still now in social media platforms. Um, we've had no end of congratulations. We had some great comments from folks there. One uh, very um, CEO of a large cannabis company, said to us, you know, make no mistakes, what Regenibus did here today at the United Nations was, has done immeasurable good for the cannabis industry globally by pinning it and framing it to a bigger solution set. That it's not about cannabis companies, cannabis investors, governments, etc. It's about ensuring we do not leave 7.8 billion people behind. And we have this unique opportunity with this plant and that, that, that was the framing. We got some great notes back from folks at the UN. They've said we can come back and we will. We'll be back there in October, date to be fixed, but we will go back. Um, we'll have a slightly shorter day because it was a lot. Um, I, we've taken that feedback, six panels, but each one, you know, it's difficult to, to pick one out and we can reference it later, but on a YouTube channel, YouTube, you know, do. YouTube search for Genibus, you can see the entire run of play broken down into 10 to 20 to 30 minute segments. Um, and you can get a feel for you know, what happened there. But we feel also that we've opened the door to others to, you know, the UN is not our domain of Regenibus, it's, it's for the public if we can harness that capability. And so we look forward to that. We look forward to seeing other organizations host and convene meetings at the UN uh, going forward. We won't be the only ones and we don't want to be the only ones. 
because the more that more that do this and more that hold these conversations and frankly, that's, that is only going to rapidly accelerate the solutions that we need to see. So that, 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 was, the, that was the power behind it. And it's, uh, it was just way better than we thought it was, it was going to be. So we got lucky. Amazing. Well, I heard a lot of good things. We had, I think, three people from our team there, and they had nothing but great things to say about it. Yeah. So yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Of course. I, I would just add, it, was, it was an extraordinary event. And uh, Jeff, I, I couldn't agree more uh, about, uh, the, about the comment made by the, the CEO of the cannabis company. You know, we, we, in the industry, we talk about you know the, the two types of developments that push us forward: the symbolic ones, uh, and then the material ones, and the quantifiable ones. And as far as symbolic developments go, I, 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 I'm challenged to think of uh, a more kind of consequential. Um, uh, advancement of the industry's cause than, than, than this event in the, in the past you. few years. You know, um, thank you uh, for that. Uh, and I can also say uh, just an, uh, a series of comments we got, but more specifically from folks, senior folks at the United Nations. You know, one, one chap there pointed out to us that, I mean, he's, he's a 25 plus year veteran at the UN. He's been to many events at the UN, in the UN. And he, he never thought that there would be a cannabis conference at the UN. And, and so that is quite remarkable in, in and of itself. But the fact that, as he pointed out, fundamentally, it wasn't a conversation about cannabis. It was about 7.8 billion people. So well-framed, the, the, framing the opportunity. But the, the other thing that he said to, to myself and Patrick subsequently was, what was also very unique about the event on, from a UN perspective, was that we brought the market into the room and that rarely happens. And what he meant by that was, you know, there are in any market, there are five stakeholder players, if you like, the corporations, there's civil society, the not-for-profits of this world that, that keep corporations on track, governments, investors to make the money go around and media to tell the story. That magic five was in the room. And that was very, very rare for, for an event at, at the UN. Frankly, it's rare for an event anywhere. But from our perspective, it, it, was, it, it was of categorical import, importance. It's an imperative that we get the market in the room to see where the opportunities are if we just unblinker ourselves and just lose our chains and, and think where the opportunities are. And that, that was fundamentally our intent and the fact that it was recognized. And then the other thing I'm just gonna give a shout out to, people said to us, Oh, it was historical. I mean, it was, it was historical, but I'm also going to get a little, uh, let's call it chintzy somewhat. It was beyond historical. It was historical. There were 32 speakers, 23 were women, not just any women, but some of the powerhouses in the cannabis industry or in governments around the world or from civil society. And, and, I, and I, that was also and has always been our intention that this industry shouldn't look like me and Patrick. And, and from our intention, it, it, it won't look like myself and Patrick. And that was a, 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 a critical piece. So to hear voices, I mean, Toy Hutchinson blew it out of the park. She was incredible. I would encourage everybody to go listen to that. Patricia Villela Marino, who runs a group called Humanitas 360 out of Brazil is doing some incredible work. You know, every, whether it was Amber Littlejohn, Daniel Drummond, you know, there are just many, Bridget Hennessy, Sandra Carrillo is doing some incredible work around medical cannabis around the world. Kim Rivers is knocking it out of the park. Kudos to her. First 
you know, US-based cannabis company to put out an ESG report, first through the wall, bloody nose, et cetera, but kudos, great leadership. Jamie Pearson, just incredible. You know, Kimberly Kovacs, formerly at Arcview, now at Element 6 Dynamics, just blazing a trail when it comes to all manner of things, when it comes to hemp, et cetera. And then, of course, your own, Jada. Jada de Casa gave a, a wonderful overview of her own journey, which, you know, as, as a powerhouse woman in, a, in, a, in the world of publishing, the world of cannabis, she was already up against it. But she gave a great, uh, a great presentation. Um, and uh, full disclosure, will soon hopefully be joining our advisory board as yet another great person on our advisory board. So, you know, it was an historical day. Uh, historical, yeah, historical, for sure. I love that. Amazing. Well, mdbizdaily.com reported Canadian cannabis producer Canopy Growth shuts ESG unit in latest layoffs. So after garnering some attention for releasing the first the company's first ESG report in January, Canopy Growth recently dissolved their social impact and advocacy team um, claiming their ESG work will continue and a second ESG report is planned for early 2023. So uh, obviously people are facing challenges with this. Um, Jeff, what advice would you offer to operators looking to integrate ESG objectives with their current um, operations? Yeah, look, I, I think on the Canopy growth scenario, I haven't spoken to anybody at Canopy. Uh, subsequently, we we heard at Regenibus, we heard of um, not only the ESG team for the best part being um, released, which is you know it's very unfortunate, it happens to anybody, um, no matter their function, but they were not alone. There was there was a, a, a broader group, if you like, um, and I think it really is just an, a, a bellwether the, of of where we are, not just in the cannabis industry, but in most industries right now. I, I don't think the cannabis industry is any more or less unique when it comes to being protected. Uh, from the, the, the broader economic scenarios that are impacting us around the world. Um, so I, I can't really speak to that, but what I could speak to is that actually in the, in the period of time that since that happened and even prior to that happening, there are many other cannabis companies who are beginning to build out their ESG capabilities. So one could argue that, um, that the folks from Canopy are gonna be much sought after because I do, I do feel and we can see that there are uh, organizations that are paying a lot more attention in the cannabis space to ESG. I mentioned TrueLeave earlier, you know, Margot Bruna uh, recently joined TrueLeave there as, as all things ESG shows tremendous foresight. Uh, and we know that folks at say Merrimed are also paying attention to what's happening in the ESG space. Similarly, Flora Growth uh, under, under um, Louis Merchant's CEO Steerage. You know, so there are many other companies that are beginning to 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 pay attention to this, and so I think that that bodes well because ultimately, I think these these businesses begin to see, and and to sort of paraphrase a little bit of what John said earlier, you know, Regenibus, when we look at the importance of ESG, we we know that these organizations are looking at you know access to capital, whether it's in the public marketplace or not. Uh, and, and so they could be a private company, large cannabis private company. An ESG play will bring greater attention from investors and therefore um, you have a better chance, we feel, of, of continuing raising capital or finding capital in the markets because of the ESG play. 
Um, there may be the short-term investors that frankly don't get it. And that, that's, that's not just only happening in the cannabis space, that's happening in pretty much every industry. There are always short-term investors that frankly only ever want to watch Squawk Box. They'll watch that, they'll play on it, and then they'll regret it maybe a week later. We're not talking about that. We're talking about long-term investing opportunities and the smarter businesses get it and they understand it. And I think that's what they're, that's, that's what they're playing to. Well, you just named off a bunch of people that I know are making headway. Um, but looking ahead when it comes to the legal cannabis, which industry stakeholders do you think are most likely to pursue ESG initiatives and where do you mm-hmm. expect them to make the most headway? It's the question again is it which players coming into the business or yeah what do you which ones do you think are most likely to pursue this these ESG initiatives oh, oh right in the cannabis space or or in the cannabis space yeah well I the ones I just mentioned uh, plus you know if you look at the top twenty or so in terms of market cap uh, of the publicly listed companies no matter they're listed in in Canada some now on Nasdaq or or elsewhere. I think those the, 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 those are the ones that are beginning to see and understand more. There's the compliance play, but there are those who are a little bit more advanced who think about beyond compliance. Is that what is the upside? You know, beyond the capital aspect, it's about demonstrating that you're mitigating risk. This industry is still growing. Many. Other industries are struggling right now, but the one difference that I could say from the macroeconomic perspective is in the cannabis space, the industry is still growing. So there's a, a, a battle for talent, for want of a term. And of course, when you, you know, cannabis companies, whether in the B2B or the B2C space, are looking for clients or customers or consumers. And employees, clients and consumers are increasingly seeking evidence of that ESG play because they're beginning to vote with where they work, who they want to play with and partner with, or which products they want to purchase from which particular company. And ESG is an integral part of that. I think the other thing, and it references what John said earlier, that there is something called a social license to operate. And I think the smarter cannabis companies with an ESG play realize that it provides them with that social license to operate. It's not going to be enough. They're going to have to you know, provide the economic upside too. But it does provide, as I say, that, that social license to operate, that here's an organization that gets the fact that there is an economic aspect, but there is a social play and an environmental play. And we are responsible for that as business leaders. And I think that there's a, a myriad of private companies that are perhaps one raise away from uh, an IPO or an acquisition that are also paying attention to this because they, by the time they get to becoming a listed organization, there's a very good chance that the Safe Banking Act will have passed or even full federal legalization in the United States. And that will herald a door opening for institutional investors who for sure will be seeking mm-hmm. environmental social governance evidence. And if it's not there, they'll pass. And, and so that's another aspect in the private side that, that I think we should also be, uh, be, be cognizant of and, and to see that those are the, the, the smarter ones thinking of, of that next uh, iteration in their own growth. The ones that don't get it, and we know enough of them, we don't spend that much time with them. It would be the same whether it was 
you know, eight, 10 years ago back at Sustainable Brands when I was working with Patrick, we could look at a, a, a large branded corporation and we could determine whether or not their sustainability play was bullshit or otherwise. We, we, we got a good nose for that. And we, we, we fine tuned that nose almost like a perfumier. <laughs> you know? Love we, it. Yeah. John, anything to add to that? Any, anything that you, any forecasting? Maybe two, yeah, maybe just two points. One, I think Jeff is absolutely right. This is going to start at the top of the industry. Um, you know, the, the, when you look at some of the smaller companies in the space, which are really just trying to you know, keep the engine running every day, they're less likely to have the resources or the bandwidth to focus on this right now. Um, although the ears are starting to perk, perk up, up and down the, the um, up and down the market. But I think this is actually a really important time for the industry to be having this conversation. So if, if the market prognosticators are correct, um, the, the global economy is about to enter a, a, a perhaps long overdue uh, downturn. You know, um, there's, there's about to, we're about to begin a season of likely much higher uh, barriers or challenges to raising capital in this space. Cannabis continues to be an immensely venture-funded industry, particularly because we don't have access as an industry to conventional capital sources. And so, in a time, in a, a, a moment when um, you know access to capital is going to be tightening, investors' thresholds for making investments are about to become much more elaborate and much more more stringent. Um, you know, companies that are integrating ESG into into part of the line item, or into into part of their strategic approach uh, to to. Uh, uh, their, their business are going to be much stronger positioned um, to, to acquire this tightening pool um, of capital. And in doing so now, to Jeff's point, um, doing so now before we get to the major kind of changes in US federal policy, um, the major changes to European policy, where ESG has already gained, I think, a lot more traction uh, um, uh, for, from a cannabis context. We think that those companies are going to be very, very well positioned to be market leaders as this industry continues to grow. Mm. Um, but the, the, I think it is hard to overstate um, what this industry will face if we have a 2000 or 2008-like reversal, because the, the legal cannabis industry in current form has never lived through a downturn. Um, and so the, 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 we have been uh, cautioning and advising companies to be paying very, very close attention to the things that they can do um, to, to make them more attractive to the highly capitalized investment community. And we think a strategic approach to ESG is one of the ways that you can set yourself apart from the crowd at this yep. point. And, and if I could just add to that, just to put some more context in the work that we're doing at Regenibus, just to we recognize that it's all well and good to identify what is ESG and why is it important. One of the things that we heard frequently from leaders in the cannabis industry is how, how do we do this? How do we? And so we moved very swiftly. And again, and again agility and COVID, they go hand in hand for us. We, we pivoted to some degree. We created now a software as a service platform. It's, it's out the door this, this June, now this month. It basically is a, a platform that enables a cannabis company, because we're only dealing with cannabis companies and, and providers, et cetera, so right across the board, big or small, public or private, there is a, there's an, an element of this platform for everyone. It's priced accordingly because we recognize that there, you know, there's, there's a market to, to take into consideration. 
and a softness in the market. We also understand that. But helping an organization first and foremost understand what is material to their business is, an indic is, is what is built into the platform. Then once we've identified and agreed what is material, how do we then go about capturing your greenhouse gas emissions, your wastewater emissions, your diversity, equity, and inclusion programs? What's the data look like? What, is, what, is it, what about your board composition, et cetera, et cetera? Whatever those material impacts are, according to SASB. So we've basically adopted SASB standards, the Sustainable Accounting Standards, Sustainability Standards, Board Standards, because they're the, the, the standards that are seemingly likely to be taken on by the ISSB and the IFRS, the International Financial Reporting Standards, and the SNC are, are taking their steer from. So from our perspective, we've taken those standards as a base, but said the cannabis industry has an opportunity. So we've like, taken those standards and, and used some other aspects of the various uh, components and created the, we call it the Regenibus standards for the, the cannabis industry from an ESG perspective. It helps organizations monitor and measure, but ultimately report out on. And we're also through the platform creating a de facto industry standard for an ESG report, something like a 15 to 20 page report, which will hopefully do away with 157 page report or the five page report, which doesn't go anywhere near deep enough. So the idea here is then to create this platform that will enable those smart thinking organizations to know that they have a, an AI data play, capture this, a lot of bench, a lot of um, you know, uh, ways in which they can benchmark their uh, data, produce an annual report, but also look at dashboards on a frequent basis at an executive level to see precisely where they need to be paying more attention. And ultimately what will happen, we know it, when the softness uh, begins to disappear and the markets pick up again, when you look at uh, the, the kind of curious Fortune 500 companies that want to move into this space, they will for sure look at cannabis companies that have an ESG performance that they, that they can sing about. And therefore, you're going to see uh, a match that will be made then based on these, these non-financial, yet some, to some degree, financial matters. And that's what we're creating through this platform. And it pulls everything back together, the convening, the investment aspect, the advisory aspect, all driven back to impact around sustainable development and ensuring that at a corporate level, you're doing your bit to ensure we don't leave 7.8 billion behind. And that, from a corporate branding perspective, is immense. It's a huge opportunity. Where can our listeners access this um, platform? Is it on your website or? Right. So we have, it's called ESGXL, mm -hmm. uh, XL, E-X-C-E-L, like the, you know, like your spreadsheet platform, ESGXL.com. That's the informative website that will tell you a little bit more about what our, the software as a service platform is. We are now talking to a number of organizations about rolling this out. And, and if you're a, a corporate member, big or small, there's an opportunity to have this platform in your organization. You have access to it just through an icon on your desktop, et cetera. Um, and, and so that's, uh, that's, that's how people will access and companies access ESG XL. Um, a lot of information in there about how we've identified these standards, elevated the standards, and, and creating, uh, we think, 
a set of de facto ESG standards for this industry that frankly other industries will look at and go, yeah, we should have diversity, equity, and inclusion in our materiality assessment. You know, why are we only sort of poking holes at the cannabis industry? You could argue that pretty much any industry in the United States for, I don't know, for at least 300 years could have done with a dose of social equity and some and a, and a view on social impact. So perhaps you can see how when we reference it, it's sustainability for and by the cannabis industry, this will drive sustainability within the cannabis industry. But frankly, we think the cannabis industry could become a leader for other better sustainable behaviors in corporations. And, and so that's, that's what I think we'll see over the longer term. Amazing. Well, we are almost out of time, but Jeff, we give all of our guests the opportunity to give a shout out to someone in the industry that you think are doing amazing things. So you have the floor. Oh, yeah, yeah. I said to you beforehand when I, when I asked. Mm. This has um, been giving you heartburn. <laughs> you know, everything else I can, I can talk fluently uh, about, I think. Uh, look, it's impossible for me to single anyone out, single any one person out, but I, but I will. In the sense, I'll give a shout out to Patrick McCartan, who uh, I've referenced as a co-founder to Regenibus. His steer and, and the work that we have done together, uh, I think, is, has, been, has been wonderful for me from a career perspective, frankly. But his, his knowledge broadly of what's going on in the cannabis space is, has been phenomenal. And it really sort of brought me into this space. So I have to give a, a shout out to him, which sounds a little trite, but but it's really heartfelt. He's, um, he's just wonderful. And I, I would also say, you know, it, it's difficult. If we look at our advisory board and you can see on regenibus.com, you could look at leadership, you'd see the advisory board, Christine De La Rosa, uh, you know, Bob Hogan. Um, uh, there's a, a lady that recently joined our advisory board. Uh, she's uh, uh, Princess Jamida out of uh, Malaysia doing some wonderful things around halal hemp. Um, Jada, I've just referenced uh, Jada earlier. All these other leaders that we have seen that were either at RCL or will we think will be at RCL at some point in the future. This industry is blessed with some brilliant people. Yeah, it's also blessed with some not so brilliant people. But the ones, let's give a shout out to them. They're, 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 we've been very, very fortunate, I think, at Regenibus to have come into contact with many. And uh, we look forward to building out that, that platform even more and, and our community even more. Um, so there you go. Well, there you go. Well, Patrick, <laughs> kudos to you. And Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. And John, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. Uh, again, please be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. And if you want to download a copy of the ESG Cannabis Report we publish in partnership with Regenibus, you can head over to newfrontierdata.com and look under Analyst Reports. I am your host, Heather Wickline, and I will see you next time. New Frontier Data provides this podcast for entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated in this podcast should be taken as legal or financial advice. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the company. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by New Frontier Data employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of the company or any of its officials. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our legal department.